0: Welcome everybody to Histories of the Unexpected, the show in which we explain how everything has a history, even the most unexpected of subjects like penguins,
1: endings and brilliance. And we'll be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, Sam? Who knew, for example, that the history of windows is in fact all about the Tudor Reformation or that the history of gates, yes, Gates is in fact all about power and victory during the Second World
0: War. The man not sitting opposite me, who will help pilot us through these micro-histories, is one of the country's leading professors of history. It's Professor Extraordinaire James Daybell. Hello, James.
1: Hello, Sam. And the man not sitting opposite me, but yet ably helping me co-pilot these episodes, is the famous historical adventurer, Dr. Sam Willis.
0: This is the second of our special Christmas-themed micro-histories in which we embrace the task of demonstrating how an unexpected subject not only has a history, but is massively important and interesting in just 15 minutes and without just talking faster. We will start with a shared example, then have just five minutes each to make a case for an interesting history on that very unexpected subject. Contributions will be rigorously timed.
1: They will indeed. And you, dear listeners, you will get to vote on social media on what you think was the most interesting fact you heard today. Today's
0: topic is the fabulously artistic history of evil. Right, James,
1: where are we going to start? Okay, Sam, well, we were inspired by Christmas itself to do this. We want to start with evil and chimneys. And over (laughs) to you. (laughs) The... Romantic uh, accounts,
0: also entirely fictional, of St Nicholas climbing down the chimney at Christmas to put presents in stockings. That's where I want to begin, because these stories first flourished in the United States during the 19th century. But in fact, they stem from earlier European traditions. And they're not connected with Father Christmas coming down the chimney, uh, but actually with evil spirits. The chimney throughout European folklore was associated with the supernatural. It was a kind of entry point into the home, whether for good or for evil, but in this case to do with evil. And within the Christian world, those chimneys were sometimes connected to winter celebrations.
1: Yes, if you look at what happened in Greece and Serbia, for example, there were a group of Christmas goblins called Kalikanseroi, who were believed to live underground for most of the year, quietly getting on with their own things, not bothering anyone. And they surfaced during the 12 days of Christmas only to slip down chimneys of different householders in order to wreak Havoc. Now, one of the ways of preventing these evil beings from descending one's chimney was either to light a yule log for the duration of the twelve days of Christmas, or even to throw a pair of foul-smelling shoes into the flames, mm, so to there, scare them all off.
0: Yeah, Christmas traditions to do with being afraid of evil. But where do we go from here? How can else can we, we can do the history of evil? I'm going to start, James. I'm going to take us to Russia. Now, Aha, um, excellent. I'm not, I'm not, of course, saying that Russia is the source of all evil. <laughs> um, uh, now I think about it, though, it might have been an interesting approach. You could have done the Cold War the way uh, the Russians were perceived in America in the 1950s. Uh, You know, fear of reds under the beds and things like that. But no, I'm going to take us to Russia of the 1880s instead, the reign of Alexander III, absolutely fascinating person. Um, So he uh, defines his reign as emperor by condemning the influence of Western culture and ideas. His father before him had been much more liberal, much more open. Um, and his desire to want to change Russia. But Alexander III um, very much has a uh, a traditional, very focused way of life on maintaining what he believed um, Russian society actually was or should have been. Um, he himself, he suited this kind of imperial Russian stereotype. He could be very rude. He could be very blunt in conversation. He was known to be terrifying when he was angry. He used foul language. Um, when he was often frustrated with those around him, when he didn't get what he wanted. Um, Dominating character, real physical strength. Uh, And during this period, Russia was really quite backwards in the 1880s um, in in administrative systems, very uh, primitive, economically weak. Um, So it was somewhere that really needed change. Which brings me to the question of evil, because it's a topic that was raised by none other than the uh, the author Fyodor Dostoevsky in his book The Karamazov Brothers. It was published as a serial in The Russian Messenger between January 1879 and November 1880. Dostoevsky died less than four months after its publication, but he's very much focused on, um, on issues in Russian society. And I brought this up because it's the best-known literary depiction Um, not necessarily the best known, the best, I think, the best literary depiction of what is known as the problem of evil. Uh, This is really fascinating. This is the problem. You have a, a seemingly impossible juxtaposition of evil with the existence of a benevolent God. And it was first found by Epicurus, the Greek philosopher, around the 300s BC. So it's basically like this. If God allows evil, he is not good. And if he is unable to prevent it, he is not powerful. But the Christian God is supposed to be both omnipotent and omnibenevolent. You're supposed to be very good and very powerful. But if you follow that logic, it means that the Christian God can't actually exist. Um, Dostoevsky takes this problem and... He uh, puts it in, in, through the mouth of, of Ivan, one of, the, one of these brothers. He narrows his argument down to the suffering of children. Um, tells his brother gruesome stories of the torture and murder of innocent kids. And he can't understand how such atrocities could be forgiven. And he even thinks they, they shouldn't be. He talks a lot about um, uh, uh, evil in, in, in um, other non-Russian countries, but also particularly in Russia. "'I've collected a great, great deal about Russian children.' "'There was a little girl of five who was hated by her father and mother, "'most worthy and respectable people of good education and breeding.' You see, I must repeat again, it is a particular characteristic of many people, this love of torturing children, and children only. To all other types of humanity, these torturers behave mildly and benevolently, like cultivated and humane Europeans, but they are very fond of tormenting children, even fond of children themselves in that sense. It's just their defencelessness that tempts the tormentor, just the angelic confidence of the child who has no refuge and no appeal that sets his vile blood on fire. In every man, of course, a demon lies hidden. The demon of rage, the demon of lustful heat at the screams of the tortured victim, the demon of lawlessness, let off the chain, the demon of diseases that follow on vice, gout, kidney disease, and so on. This poor child of five was subjected to every possible torture by those cultivated parents. They beat her, thrashed her, kicked her for no reason till her body was one bruise. Then they went to greater refinements of cruelty, shut her up all night, in the cold and frost in a privy and because she didn't ask to be taken up at night, as though a child of five sleeping its angelic sound sleep could be trained to wake and ask they smeared her face and filled her mouth with excrement and it was her mother, her mother did this oh what's that strange historical noise James
1: is the Wicked Witch of the West from the film, The Wizard of Oz. Very good, let me But just... well, I think you, you're st- you're allowed to finish your sentence.
0: Ah, uh, well, let me finish this quote here. I think if the devil doesn't exist, but man has created him, he has created him in his own image and likeness. Bit of fantastic Dostoevsky for everyone. I would urge you to read that book. It tells you all about Russia in the 1880s. So there you go, James. History of evil, or one history of evil, is actually all about life in Russia under the stifling reign of Alexander III and the logical challenges and the historical literary presence presentation of the problem of evil
1: In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Oh, and also The Brothers Karamazov, uh, Mm -hmm. which I've never read but always wanted to, so I have popped it on my Christmas list, (laughs) only to find that it's 980 pages long. Uh, A novel in four parts. Enormous. Uh, James, I hope you are ready. Your time, your five minutes, starts now. Excellent. Right. Well, I'm going to take us in a completely different direction, and it is connected to that cackle of the Wicked Witch of the West, because I'm going to talk to us about witch bottles... Uh, Have you ever heard of witch bottles? Witch bottles are fascinating. (laughs) So witch bottles are glass or stoneware vessels that are found all around the place, often in chimneys, in parts of the house, sometimes buried in rivers. And they are part of a counter-magical device that is supposed to, um, to protect against witchcraft. And so what happens is an individual, thinking that they may well have been bewitched, goes to, um, they don't produce these themselves, but they go to sort of medical healers known as cunning folk within the village and they ask them to prepare this bottle. And what you would do if you think that you've been bewitched, you would go along to one of these people, they would get a bottle and they would fill it with all sorts of things. And what we find survives in these bottles is things like pins, nails, sometimes animal hearts, sometimes they've been pierced with pins, there are thorns, there are fingernails, there are pieces of human hair, even uh, human urine are kept in there. And we don't actually know much about these from, a, a, from the... Um, perspective of historians we know a certain amount that it's part of of superstitious rituals it's connected to a belief in magic and witchcraft we know that there are people within society during the 16th and 17th century who would have prepared these and actually they continue to today the whole thing is being studied by a team uh, of archaeologists and historians in a big project called Bottles Concealed and Revealed. Now, this practice, um, the earliest date that I think we've got reference of it from is the 16th century, but there is a really rich description of it in 1681 in a book by uh, Joseph Glanvilles, uh, which the English title is Evidence Concerning Witches and Apparitions. And I'm just going to read you this. For an old man that travelled up and down the country and had some acquaintance at that house, calling in and asking the man of how, the house how he did and his wife... He told him that himself was well, but that his wife had been a long time in languishing condition, and that she was haunted with a thing in the shape of a bird that would flur near to her face, and that she could not enjoy her natural rest well. The old man bid him and his wife be of good courage. "'It is but a dead sprite,' he said.' and he would put him in a course to rid his wife of this languishment and trouble. He therefore advised him to take a bottle and put his wife's urine into it, together with pins and needles and nails, and cork them up and set the bottle to the fire well corked, which, when it had felt a while, the heat of the fire began to move and joggle a little. But he, for sureness, took the fire-shovel and held it hard upon the cork, and as he thought, he felt something one while... "'on his side, another while on that, "'shove the fire-shovel off, which he did, "'he still quickly put on again. "'But at last, at one shoving, the cork bounced out "'and the urine, pins, nails and needles all flew up "'and gave a report like a pistol, "'and his wife continued in the same trouble and languishment still. "'Not long after, the man came to the house again "'and inquired of the man of the house how his wife did. "'He answered, "'as ill as ever, if not worse. "'He asked him if he had followed his direction. "'Yes,' says he, and told him the event as is above said. "'Ha!' quoth he, "'it seems it was too nimble for you,' "'in other words, the sprite, "'but now I will put you in a way "'that will make the business sure. "'Take your wife's urine as before "'and cork it in a bottle with nails, pins, and needles, "'and bury it in the earth, and that will do the feat.' The man did accordingly, and his wife began to mend sensibly, and in a competent time was finally well recovered. But there came a woman from a town some miles off to their house, with a lamentable outcry that they had killed her husband. They asked her what she meant, and thought her distracted, telling her they neither knew her nor her husband. "'Yes,' says she, "'you have killed my husband. He told me so on his deathbed." but at last they understood by her.' that her husband was a wizard. We are not only civil rights, but even
0: human rights. So the only way we're going to get some of this oppression and exploitation away from us or aside from us is come together against a common enemy. There you are, James. Well done. I've stopped oh, you excellent. with excellent. a bit of Malcolm X. Oh, raging, I love Malcolm X. <laughs> raging against the evil of racism. There you are. I, I, I really enjoyed your witch bottles. That was very good. Do you need to finish off? It was good,
1: yes, uh, and he had... So, in other words, we we fear we find out in this last bit that the, the woman's husband was a wizard who had bewitched the man's wife, and this counter-practice prescribed by the old man which saved the man's wife from languishment was the death of that wizard that had bewitched her. So there you have it, Sam. Evil is all about witch bottles in the 17th century and the practice of using counter-magical objects to protect against evil
0: evil (laughs) that was fun so we've gone from christmas chimneys to uh russian child abuse to a bit of 17th century witchcraft a a classic histories of the unexpected episode i think brilliant Uh, i hope you enjoy that everyone we're going to come back with more christmas micro histories do please follow me on twitter i'm at dr sam willis
1: and i'm at james Dable, and the pod is on at unexpected pod You can find out everything that we have been doing on our website, which is www.historiesoftheunexpected.com. And we are signing books for Christmas. If you get your orders in, we will make sure that our elves whiz them out to you in good time. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed that, guys. Okay, cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye, guys.